Three, two, one. Oh my goodness, everybody. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome back to the film room here on 88.9 The Bridge. I am your host, Andrew Pearson, here on the show that aims to make us all more informed and appreciative football fans by studying the film and analyzing what we see on Sundays. My goodness, uh, it is great to be back. Uh, The day I'm recording this will be on March 3rd, but uh, the day y'all will be hearing this, it is March 4th, uh, 2020. Um, We just got finished with the NFL Combine this week, and we also uh, just wrapped up week four of the XFL. Now, I would like to uh, talk about the NFL Combine just a little bit today, Uh, then we're going to dive into um, XFL Recap, which is pretty much what I'm going to be doing uh, for the next couple of weeks, and we're going to end the show by talking about uh, another offensive lineman. I know I talked about another offensive lineman in my film breakdown last week, but uh, this week uh, we're going to end the show by talking about uh, Mechie Becton, uh, a a tackle prospect that has just been on the rise for the past uh, couple of weeks now. Uh, His stock has really improved, and he showed that out at the Combine, uh, and I'd love to show all that off. But uh, let's start with NFL Combine stuff. Now, I'll be quite honest with you. Uh, I see a lot of people overreacting to uh, quarterback workouts that they saw throughout the throughout the NFL Combine. I, I believe it was last Thursday to Sunday, I believe is what it was. Or is, I believe, how long it lasted. And I am a firm believer that quarterback uh, that the NFL Combine does not accurately represent uh, a quarterback skill set. And honestly, what I mean by that is I think you need to see the quarterback's film. I think you need to see how how they lead their team, how they galvanize their teammates, um, how they handle pressure, uh, recognition of defenses. That's what I'm concerned about. Because the the NFL Combine was pretty pretty much existed to um, confirm by pre-existing biases by NFL uh, scouts and uh, writers who pretend to be scouts, and uh, you especially see this with three quarterback prospects that I am really frustrated and getting a little uh, peeved about on how overblown and how, um, I believe, everyone's overreacting to these prospects, either uh, positively or negatively. First of all, Jalen Hurts, uh, former quarterback of the Alabama Crimson Tide and uh, the Oklahoma Sooners, he ran a 4.59 40-yard dash time. Uh, what that means is he actually ran faster than a lot of the running backs, and a handful of the wide receivers. He ran faster than those guys. So pretty much all it confirmed was, oh, he's a really good athlete. Which, all right, we already knew that. But then you watch him on on the workouts, and he's throwing, he's throwing pretty well. And you think to yourself, oh, man, this dude can actually play quarterback. Which I personally never had a problem with. 
Uh, if you go back and dive into his film at Oklahoma, you'll realize something uh, a little discouraging. And it's that he just he was a quarterback. I'm not saying he's, he should switch positions. And I think people saying he should switch positions are uh, very misinformed and uh, not very good scouts and very just casual football fans. Uh, I, I think people who, who, who genuinely think he should, he should switch positions, I personally think that's a little overblown. But here's the thing about Jalen Hurts is that he wasn't a bad quarterback, but you watch him, you watch him at Oklahoma last year, and his tape was just simply not that impressive at all. And uh, especially in his throwing motion and how the ball comes out of his hands, the ball comes out wobbly. I'll be perfectly honest with you. The ball comes out wobbly. And it, it just it doesn't seem to have all that much force behind it. Uh, his arm strength leaves a good bit to be desired. I'll be perfectly honest with you. If you go back and watch Jalen Hurts versus Baylor last year, I think in both games, honestly, um, I think it showed he had great athleticism. I think Jalen Hurts is an amazing person. Uh, I respect Jalen Hurts for all that he's done and all that he's persevered through, especially in his time with Alabama and leading the charge at Oklahoma. I respect the heck out of Jalen Hurts. I admire what he does, but I'm sorry. I don't see it with him in the NFL. I think his arm is just too off. It's off. His arm is just off. The he he struggles with downfield accuracy all the time, and you know a lot of quarterbacks can make a career out of, out of the short to intermediate game. But the problem is, is that his arm strength just isn't there for Jalen Hurts, and for that I'm out I'm out on him as my franchise quarterback prospect. Now I'd love to have him as a backup. I think he'd be a great influence to. Everybody in the locker room, I think, is an awesome leader. And I think Jalen Hurts would probably do best in the XFL. I think the XFL is built for Jalen Hurts. It's just that a team's going to take a flyer on him, expecting him to be some sort of Lamar Jackson-type player, and that's just not what Jalen Hurts is. And people need to realize that. I have about a third to sixth round grade on Jalen Hurts. As much as I love the guy, I don't have any confidence in him as a quarterback prospect. Uh, I don't think he should switch positions. Uh, I th- I think I just think he needs to work on his mechanics and try and use more of his leg strength uh, in his throws to actually uh, put some velocity on the ball. That's what I would love to see from Jalen Hurts. But after showing out at the combine, when you're not in pads, when you don't have a corner driving on on the flats to uh, on, on your receiver, you th- you look better. This is what we went through with Colin Kaepernick a couple of months ago, where everybody was oohing and on about how supposedly he looked great, but failed to realize that the film he last put he that the play that he last put on film was absolute garbage, and uh, well. The way Colin Kaepernick handled himself in that situation was complete buffoonery, but whatever. Uh, We're not here to talk about that, but I'm just saying, Jalen Hurts, I love the guy, but he is not 
a franchise quarterback, and people need to realize that. Uh, the second prospect that I really want to talk about that's also being overblown to hell is uh, Justin Herbert, man. Look, everything we already knew about Justin Herbert was confirmed. He, I believe he ran a 4-6 40-yard dash, which is what you need uh, in the modern NFL. In the modern NFL, you need to be able to scramble for first downs, and you need to be able to um, scramble in the pocket and be able to deliver a throw downfield while buying time for your receivers. That is what you need to be able to do in the modern NFL. And uh, Justin, Prover, Justin Herbert proved he, he could do that. He already showed that at, at Oregon, so... I don't know what I don't know why people are ooing and on all that much. And we already knew he had a rocket arm. And he just showed that off of the combine and, you know, just confirmed what everybody thought. And um he he all he showed was, oh, he's a pretty good athlete and he's got a great arm. Yeah, alright. We already knew that about him. Why is his stock supposedly raising you know, to to the number two spot. I don't understand it. I don't understand why people love Justin Herbert so much. Because if you go back and actually watch him in Oregon, this guy couldn't hit the broadside broadside of a barn past 15 yards downfield. He really could not. You know, Justin Herbert is the type of quarterback where every time. You're dropping back on a third and ten. You're holding your breath that he doesn't overshoot his receiver by five by five to ten yards because of his, because of his rocket arm. Now I'll perfect. I'll tell you this right now, and I'll be quite honest with you. Stepping into the NFL, Justin Herbert will have a top ten arm in the league, straight up. His he is extremely physically talented, and I think with proper coaching. Justin Herbert could be somebody, but I don't think he's this blue-chip prospect that everybody's trying to paint him to be. And honestly, I don't think he's a first-round pick. There's too much there that bugs me about Justin Herbert that makes me want to say, you know what, I don't want to take this guy in the first. And I think a lot of that is he had... I think it was five years at Oregon, actually, maybe four years starting. But I know uh, he stayed for his redshirt senior year. And to be quite honest with you, we did not see much improvement uh, past his sophomore year. He did not improve all that much. Uh, his stats stayed around the same. And I know I don't like using stats to, to gauge whether a prospect is good or not. That's not my thing. Uh, but it, it, if you're supposedly improving... If you're if you're going to be a quarterback prospect, right, and if you're going to be in college for five years, I expect to see some improvement, and that came very incrementally with Justin Herbert, very very small, and uh, that that really does concern me. It showed me that he he may have already reached his peak. I don't think he has, but. I think there's enough there to give me concern that, oh, this guy might not, might not come through. If I'm taking him in the first, this guy might not come through. Uh, if you also notice, this dude, uh, football is not his number one passion, which normally I'd say all right, but 
you take a look at everything that has gone on behind the scenes at Oregon, you begin to see, oh, this dude's a science major. That This dude wants to go into all these other fields. He has other interests. He He's more of a family person. He, so he, he values things that aren't football, which I, perf- I perfectly agree with on just a human level. I don't think football is the number one thing that should be in your life. But if I'm talking from the perspective of a NFL general manager, I expect that the guy I'm drafting to be my franchise quarterback has football as his number one priority at the time of his of his drafting. I expect him to be hungry. I expect him to want to have the will to win. I expect him to you know, want to compete all the time because winning in football is extremely important to that draftee that, you know, I'm investing a mid to early round or a mid to early round uh, first round pick on. And if I don't get the sense that the guy I'm drafting is fully committed, his draft, his draft stock is going to tank. And so there's just a lot of outside forces that make me, you know, feel a little icky around Justin Herbert. I, I have my doubts with him. And uh, I think him showing up at the Combine and everybody oohing and on about for him and him potentially being the second quarterback taken, I think is absolutely asinine. I, I honestly, looking at his tape from Oregon last year, because I watched a handful of Oregon games last year, Watching him, watching him miss wide open receivers, because this—I promise you—this this guy really does have an accuracy problem. Watching him, you know, just not being able to regalvanize a team, and you know, rally his troops to go down on a late field push uh, against Auburn early in the year, not being able to do that. There's just a lot of signs that draw me away from Justin Herbert. Now, there is enough talent there, and I think this dude is really talented. I'll be perfectly honest with you. This guy has one of the strongest arms in the draft, probably number two. And the day he steps into the NFL, he'll have one of the best arms in the NFL. He's got decent mobility, and he's really freaking tall. And he seems to be pretty smart, especially football-wise. And he seems to be a nice guy. But just all these outside factors are making me feel not as good about Justin Herbert. And that's what makes that is finally what what makes me get off him. Now, the one quarterback prospect that I feel is getting absolutely dogged on because of the combine is uh, poor Jake Fromm, man. I feel so awful for Jake Fromm because now everybody's saying that, you know, Jake Fromm is is garbage and Jake Fromm, uh, you know, everybody's making fun of Jake Fromm. For those who don't know, uh, Jake Fromm is the former Georgia Bulldogs quarterback and he had a bit of a lackluster junior season, I will admit. Uh, His sophomore tape was a lot better. But... That still doesn't excuse the fact that Jake Fromm was really good at Georgia. 
And I think the combine is just the worst place to show off uh, Jake Fromm's skill set. Because Jake Fromm isn't going to jump off the page, especially at a combine where you're measuring just pure athletic ability and going through workouts. That's not where Jake Fromm makes his money. That's not his game. Because, you know, you'll get all these reports that are saying, wow, this guy's arm strength just isn't there. And, you know, he he looked like he was putting everything into his throws all day at the combine. And uh, it just, the arm strength was not there and all and this and that. Now, Jake Fromm does have one of the weaker arms in the draft this year. I will perfectly admit that. He, his arm is not the it's not a Hall of Fame arm. But then again, neither is Joe Burrow's. Joe Burrow's arm, he, had, he doesn't have a cannon arm either. But where Joe Burrow and Jake Fromm make up for their lack of, you know, physical ability and in, in their arm, they make up for it with their leadership. How they rally their troops. How the, the camaraderie they share with their teammates. And how they, they lead a team downfield late in the game for a push on a fourth down. You know, you need a guy. You want Jake Fromm to have the ball in his hands. You want Joe Burrow to have the ball in his hands. And you know that they're going to pull through for you. That is where Jake Fromm excels. Jake Fromm excels in a team setting. And unfortunately, Jake Fromm was not able to have that at the Combine. So, you know, all the chemistry with his receivers are going to be off. He's not going to have, um, he's not going to have any luxuries with the offensive line. He's not going to look through, he's not going to look good in the skill drills because he his style of quarterback isn't necessarily pushing the ball vertically downfield all the time because that's just not who he is. He's a great middle middle of the field passer. He's great at doing that. He's great at throwing it on the sideline in tight windows uh, between in, in a cover two hole between, between the corner and the safety. That's what he's that's what he's good at. And he's he's great at spreading the ball around on his offense and finding matchups that work. He, he's great at identifying matchups and taking advantage of them to beat the defense. He's really good at reading defenses. That's Those are all elements of Jake Fromm that are excellent, that are simply not going to be showed uh, at, at the NFL Combine. And I think the fact that his stock is supposedly dropping because of the Combine is extremely disappointing. Extremely disappointing. And I really hate to see all these people on, you know, on the Twitters and whatnot make fun of Jake Fromm because, you know, he didn't have the best showing. He's just not built for the combine. And I think, I honestly believe that Jake Fromm is either an early second or a late first round pick. If you see Jake Fromm uh, taken off the board to the um, to the to the New England Patriots or the New Orleans Saints, don't be surprised, because Jake Fromm is a very good quarterback prospect that 
uh, I think will have success in the NFL. All right, folks, that's pretty much it. Uh, when we get back, I'll briefly talk a little bit more about the highlight players, um, or about more highlight players from the Combine. Then we're going to dive into XFL recap uh, and talk about all the really interesting games this week in the XFL. Uh, th- this this week uh, this week really turned narratives on their head uh, in the XFL. And we're going to end the show by talking about Mecky Becton. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. I will be right back. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the film room here on 88.9 The Bridge. I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, on the show that aims to make us all more appreciative and understanding football fans. Who boy. Uh, I, just gonna talk, I just got done talking about prospects that uh, you know I think are either overblown or quarterback prospects that I think are a little overblown or um, a little... Uh, underappreciated due to the NFL Combine. Again, the NFL Combine was last week, and um, it's over now, and we're getting into pure draft analysis. But uh, right b- before I end uh, this segment on um, the NFL Combine, I want to talk about a few players that I think really showed out at the Combine and looked absolutely amazing. At the NFL Combine, and it's two it's two players specifically. Um, I want to talk about Henry Ruggs for a second. Now, Henry Ruggs is a wide receiver out of Alabama, and his entire game is predicated around being a deep threat, being that Deshaun Jackson in an offense and just running past people and getting open that way vertically, and. I think that uh, I think he really needed the combine, and here's why: if if he only came out and ran a four three forty yard dash, uh, or running a forty yard dash in four point three seconds, he would his stock would drop because all his game is revolved around is that speed, and all uh, anyone ever saw. From Henry Ruggs throughout the throughout the year at Alabama, was him running past defenders, and people really needed to confirm that he did in fact have elite speed that is extremely rare and that you can't just teach or that you can't uh, just hope comes around because it doesn't come around every year especially in a wide receiver prospect like Henry Ruggs, who's really good at other stuff. Um, normally, when you get these uh, 4-2, 4-2 uh, running wide receivers, it's usually because um, they don't really have anything else. They just predicated their entire game over it. Um, Henry Ruggs, his entire game is not... In, it, it's a pretty much the majority of his game, but he can do other things as well. And uh, if he only ran a 4-3, he would drop to the second round instantly. I'd be perfect. I'll, I'm being perfectly honest with you. But the fact that he ran a 4-2-7 40-yard dash confirmed to everybody at the Combine that the, he doesn't just have elite speed. He has generational speed. Because there's very few... Prospects that run a four two forty um, at the combine ever. 
The fastest time ever recorded, by the way, was John Ross, a current wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. He ran a 4-2-2 a couple of years ago. But the fact that Henry Ruggs showed out like he did, absolutely amazing for his draft stock. Uh, I'd be surprised if he isn't gone by, you know, pick 15-ish. I I would not be surprised. Uh, Another, and finally, the the final prospect I'm going to talk about from the Combine last week, um, I really want to talk about Isaiah Simmons. Now, I understand everybody's probably heard about Isaiah Simmons, so let me let me explain to you uh, what all the buzz is around this guy. So, Isaiah Simmons was kind of this hybrid weak side linebacker uh, or strong safety in the cover three system at the University of Clemson. And what that means is um, he would typically line up as a linebacker but on the weak side of the field. So that would normally mean the side that is away from the majority of bodies. So, for example, if the offense is in a three-wide receiver set with one tight end on the right side of of the offensive formation, Isaiah Simmons would line up on the left side of that formation, or Isaiah Simmons would switch to the other side to cover the tight end. That's pretty much how... um, he, he never really played at middle linebacker. He always played on the outside uh, as a linebacker. Or when he was playing a bit of an enforcer role at strong safety, he had enough athleticism to um, cover huge areas of spaces and was just wonderful in coverage. And not only good at that, he was good at run defense as well. And... Um, I think that's really what made him a special prospect is that you don't see this this type of athleticism with a guy who's about 230-some pounds. I think, he's, I think he's about 240, actually. And Isaiah Simmons is just a special prospect. And so when he came out of the combine, people were wondering just how athletic he really was. And he came out and ran a 439 40-yard dash. To 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 put in perspective just how athletic and how fast that is of all of the wide I think there were 20 some or 30 some wide receivers that tested at the combine this year. Of those, only about 10 or so ran a 43. Actually, I think less than that. I think it was only about 8 or so. That, that ran a 4-3 or less. So if only about 8 of the wide receivers this year ran a 4-3, imagine how foreign it is to have a linebacker that, ran, that runs as fast as those guys. That is extremely scary. And this type of athleticism is extremely rare. You do not come across this every day, especially from a guy who's about 240. I mean, Isaiah Simmons absolutely rocketed his draft stock, and it was already pretty high. But I would I would be astonished if he gets out of the top five. I would be extremely surprised. Because the only people, uh, because to be quite honest with you, 
If you want my opinion on the top five picks this year, right now, right here, right now, I honestly believe Joe Burrow's going number one to the Bengals. I, I think they need a quarterback bad. Uh, I think that Chase Young, edge rusher out of Ohio State, we already did a film analysis of him early in, earlier in the year. You can tune, tune into that on Spotify. Um, but he's this, he's a generational pass rushing talent, and he's probably going to, going to be going to the Washington Redskins at two. So at third third overall, honestly, I think his worst scheme fit of the Detroit Lions might pass on him, just because uh, linebackers like Isaiah Simmons aren't built to be in a Belichick-style system um, with head coach Matt Patricia over in Detroit. I don't... Th- because typically in those systems, they they have these huge 6'5", 250-pound li- in- interior linebackers to be enforcers for the run defense while they have these uh, really versatile edge, ru- edge rusher, off-ball off linebacker uh, kind of players as their outside linebackers in the Belichickian system. It's it's basically this. All all of their front seven uh, are kind of hybrids in the Belichick system outside of the in- interior linebackers, and the interior linebackers are pretty much built to stop the run uh, with maybe your rare uh, coverage linebackers such as a Dante H- Hightower. And Isaiah Simmons is a bit smaller. He's a bit more compact. And to be honest with you, I don't think he fits. Because I don't think he I don't think he can rush the passer. Maybe he can. Uh, I, he's not built to rush the passer, and I think it is a, an extreme misuse of Isaiah Simmons to put him as uh, a pass-rushing linebacker. I think it is an absolute tragedy if he gets put into one of those types of systems. Uh, I think uh, Detroit would misuse Isaiah Simmons, I don't think he's a great scheme fit there. Same thing I would say about the New York Giants at number four. I don't think I don't think he fits. I really I just don't think he fits. And um, they run a three-four uh, defense at the moment. Uh, I don't know if Joe Judge, the new um, the new head coach for the New York Giants. Uh, I don't know what type of defense he's going to be running, but if he if he's not going to be running uh, a cover three styled four uh, three defense modeled after the Seattle model that Pete Carroll has been has put in place for dang near a decade now, actually. Uh, now that I think about it, but uh, pretty much if Isaiah Simmons isn't playing uh, as an opened up linebacker, if because if he's going to be drafted to one of these to the Lions or uh, or to New York, he's going to be put at interior middle linebacker. And the huge problem with that is that Isaiah Simmons only played about eighty snaps his entire uh, his entire season last year as a middle linebacker. That's what people don't understand. When I mean off-ball linebacker, I mean a linebacker that's going to be matched up on running backs and tight ends and slot-wide receivers um, and cov- and covering hook zones um, in on you know the sides of the field. 
I want I want Isaiah Simmons covering sideline to sideline, uh, or once I want him covering one sideline to use his athleticism to the max. That's what I want him doing. I don't want him roaming the middle of the field, digging through linebacker or digging digging through linemen to to shed blocks and get to a a running back. That's not what he's built to do. And if he gets drafted to the Lions or the Giants, I think they're going to use him like that, and I think it's a huge misuse of Isaiah Simmons to do so. But uh, that that's kind of a, my rant on Isaiah Simmons. Uh, I think he absolutely rocketed up his draft stock uh, over the combine last week. Honestly, I did not know he was nearly as athletic as he was. I always knew he was athletic. I did not expect him to run like a wide receiver. I did not expect him to do that. Uh, congratulations on Isaiah Simmons. He has locked up who knows how many millions of dollars by that showing um, at the Combine. Uh, and all the hype around him is completely fair. The dude's an amazing blue-chip prospect. I promise you. he He's going to be amazing. And uh, I don't think there's a real great scheme fit, to be quite honest with you, for Isaiah Simmons until uh, the Jaguars and at ninth overall, I don't think uh, I don't think he fits anywhere else. Uh, well, he he does he fits a handful of systems, but I think the the latest he'll go is nine to the Jaguars. But honestly, uh, someone's gonna pull the trigger on him in the, at the top five, and uh, don't be surprised when that happens. All right, folks, that does it for this segment. That's pretty much all I have to say about the NFL Combine uh, other than the prospect I'm going to be breaking down later in the show. Uh, For now, let's get back into XFL talk. Uh, That will be uh, in my following segment, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, I will be right back. Oh boy, welcome back folks to the film room. I am your host, Andrew Pearson, here on 88.9 The Bridge. Uh, we break down football stuff here today, and I just got done uh, talking about the NFL Combine and talking about uh, a small handful of prospects that I think are either really help themselves out over the weekend or uh, kind of hurt themselves a little bit or maybe just kind of stayed the same. Uh, that the I'm, I'll talk about the Combine a tiny bit more when I get to my actual uh, you know prospect breakdown later in the show. But for now, let's get back to the XFL. Oh my goodness, I am... Uh, I, I love the XFL so much. <laughs> I, re- I really do. Uh, for those who don't know, X- the XFL is a brand new uh, startup professional football league uh, that is being... Uh, that the owner is Vince McMahon, uh, leader or owner... Of the WWE, or if you remember it as the WWF uh, back in the early 2000s, he restarted his football league, and uh, it's the product that we have now today. By the way, Seattle does have a team, uh, so and tickets are pretty cheap, and they're at CenturyLink Field. So uh, if you want, if you want to go catch a game, then you can do so in the coming weeks. But it is week four out of ten, ladies and gentlemen. And this week might actually be one of the most pivotal weeks uh, so far, other than week one. 
uh, because so many narratives got destroyed and recreated this week. And I really want to get into it. So let's talk about the first game this week. Uh, the L.A. Wildcats at the New York Guardians. Guardians winning 17-14. to What did I tell you guys? Louise Perez, the man who I predicted at the very start since before week one, I told y'all, keep an eye on Luis Perez. Because when he gets the starting shot, he is going to be ready for it. And would you look at that, uh, coming in for the injured Matt McGloin, uh, who uh, I believe hurt his ribs last week, beat out beat out uh, the guy in front of him at quarterback, uh, Marquise Williams, beat him out, and led the team, led the New York Guardians, finally, to another win. I am so, so happy that Luis Perez got this win. I Words cannot describe how excited I am about this. Uh, Luis Perez is a guy I've been following since the AAF or the previous foot, uh, professional football league that went under last year. And uh, this dude is a good leader. Uh, he went to te- Texas A&M Commerce, finally learned it, guys. Finally learned it. Uh, that's where he went to went to go play college football. Um, the dude's just a professional. And you, when you watch him play, uh, he plays a little safe, but he can deliver beautiful uh, footballs downfield. He just makes these beautiful rainbow throws that um, are either get dropped by Mikhail McKay or get caught. Um, he There was this one deep shot that uh, Luis Perez took uh, in this game, and he was eluding pressure. He was shifting around in the pocket. He found his wide receiver, Mikhail McKay, screaming downfield. He, he had a step on both the corner and the safety. He launches the ball downfield, and Mikhail McKay just dropped it, and it was a heartbreaker. Uh, you could be looking at a 20-something Guardians win uh, rather than just a 17-point win for the Guardians. But uh, Luis Perez got in and just did his job, and he did it so incredibly well. I I really admire what he what he was able to do. I honestly believe that he is the man going forward, and I'm excited to see what Luis Perez can do uh, from here on out. Also, shout-outs to a couple of his wide receivers, um, Kobe Pearson, no relation, and um, uh, who was the other guy? Um, Dang it, I'm blank. Joe Horn Jr. Uh, If you remember Joe Horn from the New Orleans Saints uh, in in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, and how great of a receiver he was. His son is in the XFL, and he is playing for the New York Guardians, and he's actually uh, doing pretty well for himself as well. Uh, but I really not- like New York going forward. It seems that uh, I still think they have culture culture issues. I don't think you just fix that in a week. But uh, they do seem to be going on the right track. And even when Matt, when uh, former starting quarterback uh, Matt McGloin comes back, I don't think he has a job. Uh, I think Luis Perez has firmly taken the reins. Uh, unfortunately for the LA Wildcats, um, it's just a it's just a situation of unfortunate circumstances. Uh, Nelson Spruce, star wide receiver for 
the LA Wildcats was out with an injury this game. And it essentially forced uh, quarterback Josh Johnson to have do the offense all on his own. And unfortunately, uh, that just never came for um, for Josh Johnson. He was just never a, he would he just could not carry the team, which is understandable. Um, it, it was it was a tough defense he was going up against. Uh, Jamar Summers, corner for the New York Guardians, played very well this game. Uh, keep an eye on Jamar Summers, by the way. I think he might be playing in the in the NFL um, in a couple of months. But LA, uh, they just could never get their running game going. Uh, Josh Johnson had to do it all himself, and he just simply could not. Uh, I, I, there was one kind of ugly interception, I believe, he threw this game as well. Um, it, 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 I, I, as much as I really like uh, the coaching staff for the LA Wildcats, it might be a little too late for them right now. Um, I still think their jerseys are cool, though, and I can't wait to see uh, what they do going forward. I'm a huge believer in Winston Moss, their, their head coach. I think he's a really good head coach, uh, and we'll see how they bounce back. Uh, their defense, by the way, played pretty well. As, uh, played played pretty well this game, uh, which is a testament to how good of a defensive coordinator Winston Moss really is. And uh, uh, it's promising. It's promising. Uh, LA Wildcats may not be there right now, but I think they will be in the future. Um, keep an eye on them. Uh, Seattle Dragons at St. Louis Battlehawks. My goodness, what an embarrassment for the Seattle Dragons! As uh, they fell to the Battlehawks 16 to 23, and the real story of this game is the benching of quarterback Brandon Silvers. Yes, indeed, folks. The slow quarterback, the slow plotting package passing quarterback, has finally been benched for guess who? A mobile quarterback that is more exciting and can make plays with his legs. By gosh, it's like almost every quarterback that is succeeding in the XFL is one of those types of quarterbacks. Hmm. It's like I've been saying for the past week and a half that a mobile quarterback is essential in the XFL. And it's almost like they lead to more winning. But in all seriousness, uh, B.J. Daniels, uh, the, the uh, I presume to be a new starting quarterback for the Seattle Dragons just brought a spark of life to the Dragons offense. Uh, I really enjoyed watching him play. I believe he was the leading rusher as well uh, with 84 yards uh, rushing for B.J. Daniels. Uh, I honestly did not know anything about this guy going in. Uh, apparently he was a backup to Russell Wilson in Seattle uh, for the Seattle Seahawks just I think last year or a couple of years ago. And he's essentially back with the Dragons. And he had himself a beautiful showing. He showed off some elite quickness and sh short area quickness, stop, start and stop uh, kind of thing. Uh, he's actually pretty fast, especially for a quarterback. And I really enjoyed... Um, I really enjoyed watching... This this really nice, awesome trick play where uh, they essentially uh, rolled him out to his left and made it look like it was a quarterback run and made him look like he was going to be running for the first down. 
but and all all of the defenders uh, kind of came up to him uh, to try and stop him. And instead of continuing to run, uh, PJ Dan- BJ Daniels uh, just threw the ball behind all the defenders that came up to try and tackle him because they'd left a wide receiver wide open. And it was this huge 50-yard gain. And um, I think BJ Daniels should start for um, for the time being, for future weeks until further notice. And uh, Seattle isn't completely out of the playoff picture yet. But uh, it's looking pretty tough for Seattle. Um, I like their I like what their defense is doing though. Uh, St. Louis Battlehawks though. This is pretty much the Jordan Ta'amu apology section, and I already apologized last week for I, I apologize for saying because I said at the beginning of the year that I had no confidence Jordan Ta'amu. I thought he was going to be benched. I thought he was terrible. I thought he was going to be like he was when he was at when he was at uh. Ole Miss, I thought he was going to be awful, and I thought that the St. Louis Battlehawks were completely screwed because they had no quarterback, I thought. But my goodness, this was Jordan Ta'amu's best game, and he just seems to keep keep on getting better every single week. I, I, I'm extremely impressed with Jordan Ta'amu. Uh, first of all, his running ability is truly astounding. He is really fast. He is faster than I thought, and I already expected him to be relatively fast uh, going into the year. Expecting him and being told that you know he's a bit more of a of a running quarterback, of a run first quarterback. And looking back at his Ole Miss tape, I believed it. But now he's evolved himself to a point where. He doesn't rely on running the ball uh, to be his game anymore. He doesn't rely on it. He simply, he's he's just a better quarterback nowadays. And I'm sorry to Jordan, Jordan Ta'amu, uh, but I he is absolutely incredible. And I really enjoy watching him. And he should be uh, in the MVP race along with P.J. Walker. Straight up. And the rest of the Battlehawks offense is also very promising as well. All right, folks, that's pretty much uh, all the time I have for this hour. When we get back, we're going to recap uh, the final four games of the XFL um, and you know what happened in all of them and all the players you need to look out for. I will be back uh, after this break. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be... folks we are back welcome back to the film room here on 88.9 the bridge i am your host andrew pearson uh i uh just got done talking and recapping about the first half of the xfl games that happened last weekend um it's week four in the xfl by the way so uh, i'm very excited to um to present some more uh, let's go into the final two games of the week and after that we'll go into our uh film breakdown of brand new uh, rookie uh, in the upcoming 2020 draft class, uh, Mecky Becton, but that is to be uh, talked about later. Let's talk about, let's get back to the XFL right now. Let's talk about Houston at Dallas. The Houston Roughnecks defeated the Dallas Renegades 27-20. to And my gosh, what 
a great game from both of these teams. Now, uh, I'm going to talk about Houston first. Uh, Houston did concern me a little bit, and here's why. Uh, Their defense was absolutely amazing throughout all game. Uh, They did very, very well. They produced, I believe it was six turnovers throughout the game. Uh, one 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 of which was a a scoop and score on a fumble recovery and uh, five interceptions. It was they, it was a very opportunistic defense, and they were just flying all around the field all the time. Uh, huge credit to the Houston Roughnecks defense. I was extremely impressed. However, uh, it's the Houston Roughnecks offense that did concern me just a little bit. Now, uh, quarterback P.J. Walker, who has kind of been... Uh, one of the main focal points of this show for the past couple of weeks. I absolutely love P.J. Walker. He continued to play really, really well in this game, which I I, I understand will probably make you a little confused on why um, I'm, I'm just a bit concerned with the Houston Roughnecks offense, and that is mostly because uh, they couldn't get any running game going. James Butler, who uh, I have praised on the show before, he was just not able to get going this game. He was running into the Dallas Renegades defensive line almost every time he touched the ball. He could not get any running room at all. And uh, it showed because P.J. Walker had to complete these impossible you know, third and long situations. And while he did actually complete a couple, uh, he didn't complete as many as, um, as I would have liked to see. Uh, granted, the, that's those specific situations were, uh, you know, extremely tough on the quarterback. So I don't particularly blame him, um, and I still love what I'm seeing from PJ Walker. Just saying that the the run game for the Houston Roughnecks offense uh, this week was not as good as I would have liked, and uh, I would like to see more improvement. Also, the Houston Roughnecks were the beneficiaries of. About five turnovers this game, and they only managed 27 points. And uh, that that concerns me a little bit. I feel as if the number one offense in this league uh, should be scoring at least a field goal, if not a touchdown, every single drive uh, they get a turnover on because it's such a, a big momentum shift for in, in favor of Houston in this case. Uh, they were all huge momentum shifts into Houston Roughnecks' favor, and they were just not able to uh, capitalize on all of the opportunities I felt that they were given. Other than that, though, I love the Houston Roughnecks. Uh, June Jones, their head coach, has been very solid, a uh, really good play caller. Uh, I'm encouraged by what I see for, by Houston. They are still my number one team so far in the XFL. Now let's talk about Dallas and the unfortunate story of um, of the Renegades. Uh, this game was just an absolute killer. Uh, honestly, there was a lot good good to take from this game, so we're going to start there. The Dallas Renegades defense is legit. I loved what I saw from the Dallas Renegades defense. The entire defense held P.J. Walker and the Houston Roughnecks offense to under 30 points. And that is when 
Landry Jones was just giving up turnovers all game. Uh, they still managed to keep the the opposition under 30 points, which I think says a, an, a lot uh, about the Dallas Renegades' defense and their coaching. I loved uh, I loved what I saw from Dallas, uh, especially on defense. Uh, they were just flying to the ball. Uh, their linebackers were quick, and they rallied to the ball carrier. Uh, their secondary held up for the most part. Uh, there were a couple of big plays that they were just not able to contain P.J. Walker and his golden arm. But uh, for the most part, I really enjoyed what I saw from Houston or uh, from the Dallas Renegades defense. Now the offense is where the problems start uh, for for the Dallas Renegades. And I don't think a recap of this game would be complete without first discussing what happened to quarterback Landry Jones. It is very unfortunate that the knee injury that kept Landry Jones on the sidelines for week one and through all of tra- all of training camp for Landry Jones up until week one, uh, that he had, an, for those who don't know, he had an injury um, on the first practice that uh, Dallas had several months ago, and he did, and he could not return until week two, so just three weeks ago, essentially, is when he came back. And unfortunately, he re-aggravated that knee injury this weekend, and it was just an absolute heartbreaker. It was hard to watch. Uh, Landry Jones was crying on the sideline, head, head in his hands. Uh, it, it was really sad. And really, you felt you really felt for the guy. Um, but to be honest with you, this may be a blessing in disguise for Dallas. As as morbid as that is, and as sad as that is, we need to recognize that Landry Jones has not played particularly well uh, throughout the past from week two to week four. So in the three games that he played, which was week two, week three, and week four. He didn't really particularly play well in any of them. Uh, maybe in week three he played decent, but I think that the you know bad decisions that have kept Landry Jones as an NFL career backup really have kept on coming back, uh, especially in the XFL, and, is, and has caused him to just turn the ball over at nauseum. It is... It has been ridiculous. Um, He had... I think he was responsible for all of the turnovers uh, in this game except the last one. And just to paint paint the picture, um, he lost a fumble on a sack, which ended up up in a a fumble return touchdown. So he lost that fumble when he was sacked. So that's on him. Uh, There was one interception that just went through his receiver's hands, which was just unfortunate. Uh, so that one didn't really count. But the other three interceptions that he threw were absolutely unacceptable. They were into triple coverage. They were into... Um, there was this one where um, I, I think it was a cover two man. Uh, and what that means is... Um, no, wait, no, it wasn't a man. It wasn't a man coverage. It was a zone coverage. Um, the point is, there was a, there was a, a defender in the flats... And there was a safety uh, covering deep. 
and there was a linebacker running with his receiver, and uh, Landry Jones tried to throw it in the hole between the safety and the cornerback while the, the linebacker was still trailing his receiver, and he just threw it into into that triple coverage, and the cornerback just can't just came in instantly and just snagged that interception. He just kept throwing ducks like that all game long, and um, Landry Jones did not play particularly well. And um, I think Houston's going to, or I think Dallas is going to start to realize that they are going to need a different quarterback uh, because Philip Nelson, uh, the backup for, for Dallas, who, by the way, started week one, uh, if you remember... I I I think uh, I think I said his name was Steven Nelson. Uh, I apologize um, if I did do that. I'm pretty sure I did. But uh, Philip Nelson, uh, he's number nine uh, quarterback for the uh, Dallas Renegades. He is not very good. He still can't hit the broadside of a barn when throwing past 20 yards downfield. Uh, he uh, is very slow through his reads. He's kind of stiff, uh, though more mobile than Landry Jones ever was. Uh, he's just not not a good quarterback at all. Uh, I think he's already the absolute worst quarterback to be playing at the moment. And uh, it showed. It showed. Uh, the He only really had one drive to try and correct everything when he was thrust into the spotlight when Landry Jones went down on the QB sneak. Uh which, you know, re-aggravated his knee injury. He went back in, um, did not look what good at all, uh, threw two ugly passes uh, way outside of the range of, wi- of his wide receivers. It looked like he was throwing it out of bounds. And what, what was the real crusher was uh, on the goal line, they ran a screen play. And Philip Nelson, he threw the screen just fine. He he threw it correctly, but the receiver dropped it, dropped a screen pass, and somehow Demarcus Gates, a uh, linebacker of the Houston Roughnecks, just came out of nowhere, caught that deflection for the for the interception, and pretty much ended the game right there. Uh, very impressive, by the way, for uh for the Roughnecks defense, but just a real killer. Uh, for Dallas, and to be quite honest with you, now that Dallas is going to have to start realizing that Landry Jones isn't the guy, and he's going to be out for the next couple of weeks, and that Philip Nelson is not going to be the guy, they're going to have to go after a quarterback prospect somewhere, and uh, we'll see who it is. We'll have to see who it is. All right, uh, let's go into the final game of the week before we get into our player breakdown. Uh, D.C. Defenders at Tampa Bay Vipers. The Vipers absolutely smacking the Defenders 25 to nothing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Tampa Bay finally woke up. That's all I can say. Tampa Bay has been trotting out uh, several different quarterbacks uh, throughout these past couple of weeks. Uh, the first was Aaron Murray, uh, quarterback out of Georgia. Uh, he sucked. And he's been hurt since week one as well. So uh, I don't think his return is imminent either. And uh, just for those wondering, uh, I did spend a a good bit of time on this subject last week. 
uh, when talking about the Tampa Bay quarterback. And I was all ecstatic about how uh, they're not starting Quentin Flowers and how a mobile quarterback is necessary to succeed in the XFL and this and that. Well, uh, sorry to break the news to y'all, but um, Quentin Flowers has just has been re- was released um, on in the following days after my show on Wednesday of last week. He uh, suppo- I think he had to step away for the from the team for personal reasons. I don't know what those are. Uh, I didn't do any research into that specifically. But point is, Quentin Flowers is officially gone from the Tampa Bay Vipers. And now it seems like Tampa Bay is settling on Taylor Cornelius, uh, who is a former quarterback out of Oklahoma State. And he actually has a decently strong arm. Uh, he's pretty pretty freaking tall, too. And he actually was able to have decent mobility as well. So... Uh, he, he's not he's not a world beater or anything, but he he's functional. Uh, he's better than Brandon Silvers, that's for sure. Um, but Taylor Cornelius did step up this game. Uh, Dan Williams, uh, one of the wide receivers for Tampa Bay, is doing very well. Uh, Devondre, I think um, the both of the running backs. Uh, I think Darquez Patrick. I think is his name. Hold on. Let me look this up. Give me a sec. I need to double check the names. Uh, let me see here. Oh, wait, no. It's Jaquez Patrick and uh, Devondre Smith, who were the two running backs for Tampa Bay, both over 100 yards this game. Uh, they were absolutely ecstatic. Uh, they were bruising everything that the defenders were trying to do. Uh, I'm really impressed with their running game. Uh, I'm and I'm happy and I'm fine I'm happy that Tampa Bay is finally going is finally getting itself going. Uh, Patrick especially, I think he uh, I think he might be an, an XFL star. Uh, I'm I'm very happy with what he was able to do. Uh, he just looked really comfortable running in between the tackles and hitting the hole hard um, and just being kind of slippery for uh, for defenders to deal with, uh, it was it was very entertaining, and I'd lo- I'd love to see what Tampa Bay has in store next for their running back duo. Um, also, um, Taylor Cornelius. One final note: keep an eye on him. Uh, he might he is due to improve himself over the next couple of weeks, and I hope he does. I hope uh, Tampa Bay finally found themselves uh, a quarterback. All right, defenders time. Oh geez, um, these guys are a train wreck. I I don't know what else to say. Uh, so Cardell Jones has now turned himself from the best quarterback in the league to an absolute shiv, uh, and the defenders have decided to go from debatably the best team in the league to now playing like the worst over the past two weeks. It has been ugly for the defenders. They have just not been getting anything done on offense at all. Uh, Or defense, for that matter. Uh, They let two 100-yard rushers uh, in this game, as well as a 200-yard passer. So, 
the defense has just been turned into a dumpster fire, uh, which is really disappointing because I was really excited uh, to see the 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 defense for the defenders go, uh, as well as Cardale Jones. What happened to this guy? Uh, he has just been looking extremely erratic. Uh, he has been pulling the trigger way too fast. He just looks jittery now. Uh, he he doesn't show any accuracy that he had in the first two weeks, and he's not using that mobility that he has either. I'm really concerned with Cardell Jones, uh, quarterback of the defenders. Um, I don't know what to do. I. I, I think you still start Cardell Jones. Uh, now, if you remember, about a month back, uh, I said the defend that the defenders had two really interesting quarterbacks. Uh, those being Cardell Jones and Tyree Jackson. And I think I've already talked about Tyree Jackson on the show, but just in case you need a refresher, uh, Tyree Jackson was a rookie last year uh, for the Buffalo Bills, spent time on their practice squad. Uh, he is from the University of Buffalo, uh, and his whole story is that he's this giant six foot seven beast of a of a of a quarterback who is about as athletic and fast as Josh Allen uh, of the Buffalo Bills, pretty much that that athletic, along with this cannon of an arm, just one of the best arms I've seen in a while, and um, he. He just he, he was never that that huge of a prospect, mostly because uh, he had really poor accuracy, and most of that stemmed from his terrible throwing motion. Now, uh, I would have I haven't checked out Tyree Jackson's throwing motion nowadays. Uh, I would have to double check. I would have to go and comb through the games and see where he um, where he's actually thrown the ball and check his throwing motion and see whether it's improved or not. But to be honest with you, if Cardell Jones plays like this next plays like this this week, um, don't be surprised if Tyree Jackson gets trot out at the, as the starter uh, here for the DC Defenders, because while Car- Cardell Jones is very athletic, I think Tyree Jackson is even more athletic with an even better arm, and he's younger. So honestly, I have no idea what Ty- what's going to go on with Tyree Jackson. Uh, I I just got to say this: if Cardell Jones doesn't step it up next week, you could be looking at a Tyree Jackson situation. Uh, if you don't know um, where to look for him, he's giant. He's this giant number three guy. Uh, you might see a quarterback sometime in the next couple of weeks for the DC Defenders. Uh, just they're just a team spiraling out of control. It's really it's really sad to see. All right, that does it for my XFL recap. Um, We are going to dive in next segment into one of my favorite offensive tackle prospects coming into the league this year, Mr. Mechie Becton. Uh, He is going to be next segment. So if you want to learn about this brand new prospect that will probably go in the first round and you want to see if your team's going to draft him, well, if you want to learn all about him, Tune in next segment. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be right back. The 8-9, the bridge. All right, folks. Welcome back to the film room here. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, here on 88.9, the bridge. And let's get into analyzing football players. <laughs> My goodness. All right. 
so for those who don't know, this is a football show, um, and I analyze uh, I analyze all types of NFL prospects and teams and players. And right now, I, I just got finished talking about the XFL. By the way, follow that league. That league is great, um, and it's really fun. And I think y'all should uh, tune into it on uh, Saturdays and Sundays this week. But let's get into the hot new offensive tackle prospect in this year's NFL draft. I want to talk about Big Mecky Becton. Uh, he's six foot six seven, uh, 355 pounds, coming out of the University of Louisville, uh, same university that Lamar Jackson came out of, by the way. And I am super excited to talk about Mecky Becton. Um, he is the hot new, uh, he's pretty much the, the shiny new toy. Uh, all of these NFL mock drafters want to come up with uh, and want to mock in the top 10. And if I'm being honest with y'all, I think there's five tackle prospects in this year's NFL draft that are going to be in, they're going to be taking in the first round. And I'll be honest with you, this may very well be a generational tackle class. Uh, you've you've got three dudes at the top, uh, who are um, who are Andrew Thomas, who we briefly touched on last week. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, is it Leatherwood? I think it is. I think I think it is Alex Leatherwood. Oh no, it's Jedrick Wills out of uh, also out of Alabama. Um, so it's Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, uh, Jedrick Wills out of Alabama. Uh, Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. People really like Tristan Wirfs. Um, then it's Mecky Becton, who has been skyrocketing up boards in the past month or so. And then after that, uh, I think it is Josh Jones out of the University of Houston. And it's pretty much those five guys that I think are going to be in the top, are, that I think are all going to be gone by the top 15. I think they're all going to be gone. And even after that, there's a ton of depth at tackle after those four. Um, I think there's tons of options that you could take. Um, I won't list them all now, but I, I'm just saying this tackle, this year's tackle class is going to be great, and Mecky Becton is going to be one of the best uh, in the class. Now uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give uh, my little points on how I evaluate a tackle prospect. Uh, just so everybody's familiar on what I'm talking about. So I'm going to go in-depth on pass protection technique. So um, how exactly uh, where you're placing your hands on the edge rusher, what kind of techniques do you typically use, uh, are you effective at them, all that kind of stuff. I want to see how he does in run blocking. Uh, I especially want to see his footwork. And it's pretty much just how fluid are you Go going from one spot on the offensive line and getting upfield to go block, um, to go block a linebacker in, uh, in in the run game, or how good at you are 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 you in your kick slide from your starting position before the snap and riding out with an edge rusher and following an edge rusher uh, to the edge of the pocket to protect your quarterback and. How good are you at dealing with double moves and all that kind of stuff? Also, athleticism. So, are you 
uncharacteristically athletic. So, for example, uh, Jason Kelsey, center for the um, for the Philadelphia Eagles, who can for some reason keep up with running backs uh, at 295 pounds. Uh, yeah, that he's a freaky athlete, and uh, Mecky Becton's a freaky athlete too. We'll talk about that in a sec, and um, pretty much just go over. Uh, Stuff that he showed at the combine that is helping raising his draft stock. So, first of all, first thing I want to compliment Mecky Becton on is his great first step off the line, and this kind of speaks to footwork. Um, when when you when you get off the snap, what you do is you widen your stance uh, to kind of turn and follow the edge rusher that's coming towards you. That's the first thing you got to do. Uh, now, a bad one, what a bad one would look like is kind of if the uh, offensive tackles kind of when they step back, if they're leaning forward, if they're off balance, uh, you need to keep balance, when, especially on your first step. You need to kind of have your, it, the best way I can, I can visualize it for you guys is the butt needs to be level with it with itself when you make the kick slide. So if it's tilting one way or the other, you got a problem. Is essentially what I'm trying to say. And Mecky Becton does not have a problem with this at all. He does a great job in his first step. Um, I'd say it's actually very very good. Uh, he gets really wide on his first step, and he and then he does a great job at following the edge rusher throughout the defensive play. Or, or the offensive play. So that that is the, a, a huge trait in a really good tackle prospect. Uh, and he also does well uh, on run blocking uh, reps as well. Uh, pretty much what he does is he kind of just gets up under a gets up under a defender and just kind of bench presses them. It's really entertaining to watch, and it's not something that uh, you typically see in a prospect that isn't all that good. But this dude will just maul people in the run game. Uh, I saw him uh, in in the Clemson. I I watched his game versus Clemson this year, and I just saw him uproot one of the def- one of the defensive linemen just take him off uh, of his stance and just pile drive him in the middle of the run play just absolutely eliminated him from the run it was beautiful i i honestly have never seen that before uh or well i have seen it before but it's very rare to see out of such a young prospect to understand um, how to do that and to be able to do that so effectively. Uh, he's just an athletic freak, man. Um, and I think I think that um, a lot uh, of... I think the reason that people say he's an athletic freak is especially how he tested at the combine. So, he ran a five-second... A five-second... Uh, five 11 millisecond 40 yard dash time and to put that in perspective that's about as fast as the slower quarterbacks so i just want you to think about this 
the quarterback, who is only about, you know, 200, 220 pounds, more or less, and he's about 6'2", you know, he's a, he's a leaner body, and he's supposed to be able to manipulate a pocket and, you know, get out and avoid edge rushers, right? Mackie Becton is as fast as that while being 355 pounds, all right? That is rare athleticism. That is hard to achieve. Most most linemen don't even get there. They they run, you know, in the five in the five fives, the five sevens. That's typically where they are. Mickey Beckton is outrunning everybody in his position group at the combine. He is extremely athletic for an offensive lineman. And it shows in his tape, especially how he is able to uh, progress from the defensive line to the linebackers uh, during a run play. He just does an excellent job, especially on outside zone runs, where uh, the run is coming to your side and you just pass off the one one defender to the next offensive lineman. And to visualize that for you guys, um, pretty much when... Let's take a, a run to the left. Mekki Becton is the farthest to the left on the offensive line. And he is blocking his defender. Now, when the run play starts, he kind of chips his defender and then passes him off to the interior uh, left guard. And then, once he frees himself of the, of the original edge rusher, he progresses to the linebackers to take, to take out the linebackers from the run play. And there are very few prospects like Mekki Becton that can move from one defender to another. It's rare athleticism, man. He just moves so fluid, and he does it so much faster than you would expect. Uh, just bl- blink, and he's and he's already up to the linebackers after he chips a chips a block. It's really impressive. Um, he has great recovery speed too. You pretty you're pretty much not beating this guy on a speed rush unless you're some sort of elite talent. Uh, you're not going to beat this guy to the edge at all. Uh, he he just does a great job at uh, defending the, the 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 left side of the pocket for the quarterback, uh, mostly because he's able to follow the defender so well. Uh, I really admire that about about Mackie Becton. Also, in his pass protection techniques, he clearly understands uh, how to play uh, the position. And uh, you especially see that in his pass protection. And essentially what he does is once the, once the pass play starts, he tries to land one hand into the chest of the... In- of the defensive lineman or the edge rusher, and that is typically to stop a speed rush. And what basically what a speed rush is, um, it's it's a technique used by edge rushers, and it's pretty much just trying to get around the offensive tackle using your athleticism and using your speed and using your burst uh, off your first step. So the way offensive tackles typically try to neutralize that is to land one hand into the chest of the defender while getting your your other free hand that isn't in the chest and get it on the shoulder 
of the of the edge rusher. And basically, what that's for is to try and lock the defender down in place and neutralize the rush. And then you and then from there, it's just using your strength and your arm length to just keep them in place. And Mecky Becton pretty much excels at this every time he's asked to, to pass protect. He he does a great job at landing one hand in the chest, one hand on the shoulders, and just riding out the speed rush and just following the edge defender and neutralizing the pass rush. He does a great job at that. And pretty much on that alone uh, is enough to get you drafted into the mid-rounds. But I, I've already discussed on... Uh, how good he is in the run game and how he's just a mauler. Um, now, the, his technique is a bit more traditional. Uh, and it's not typically how uh, more modern offensive line coaches are teaching uh, offensive line technique. Typically, what they do nowadays is something called a hug technique, which is essentially you give up your chest uh, because normally in, in pass protection technique, you have one hand that you start near near your core and then you try and land that punch into the center of or into the chest of the edge rusher. Instead, what what the hug technique does is you start with your hands out wide instead and try and get both of your arms onto the shoulders of the defensive lineman to stop them from moving laterally. Um, and that's typically what more modern offensive linemen do. You'll see this in Green Bay. Uh, you'll actually see this in Dallas. Uh, you'll see this in Seattle. A lot of teams are catching on to the hug technique, and it's very popular because it's almost offensive hold, legal offensive holding. Uh, because the refs can't call that, they because uh, it's not technically holding, but it might as well be, and it's part of why it's so effective. Now, the weakness of the hug technique is typically when uh, an edge rusher just bull rushes directly through the chest of the offensive lineman, that's where you'll have problems. Uh, and that's where the traditional technique that Mecky Becton uses typically counters. Uh, but I think Mecky Becton is equipped to handle either type of rush, whether it's a speed rush or a, a straight power bull rush. I think he's equipped to handle both. And honestly, he's so good at the traditional technique, I wouldn't be surprised if he just if, if he does go to a, an offensive line coach that teaches the hug technique, I would not be surprised if he just learns that in the matter of a month and, um, you know, perfects that too. Uh, I think he's going to be just fine. Uh, I don't think he's some sort of one-trick pony who has, you know, trouble with his technique. He is very good. He's just, he, he's going to be, he's going to be a great prospect. All right, folks, that's pretty much all I have uh, on Mecky Becton. Trust me, you're going to hear this guy's name called in the first round of the draft. Um, to be quite honest with you, I would not be surprised if he goes top 10. I don't think he leaves the top 15. Uh, he is a great tackle prospect. Uh, I, I, I honestly think he is better than any of the prospects that have been popping up over the past two or two years or so. Um He's, he's showing a lot of promise, and I really hope he succeeds at the next level. Keep an eye on him. He is going to be very good. Um, and I think um, I think a great place for him to land would be uh, somewhere like Cleveland. 
uh, where he uh, is going to be able to patch up and have a quarterback that understands how to manipulate a pocket and uh, buy not only buy Mecky time, but for Mecky to buy his quarterback time. Uh, I think Cleveland would be a nice landing spot. Um, other than that, though, I have no. I, I I'm not doing a mock draft, so uh, I can't really predict where he's going to go. I think he should go after Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills, who are the two you know kind of de facto one and two uh, guys at uh, offensive tackle. I'm really encouraged from what I see from Mickey Becton. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say from him. Thank y'all so much for listening, man. Um, it's been quite the uh, tiresome day for me, honestly. Uh, had, a, had a long day in, um, had a long day today in classes. But I am so excited to bring this to you guys. Uh, I'm not, I, I know I, I typically end uh, these shows with a, Big old sap story. Uh, I'm going to try not to do that today. All I want to say is uh, thank y'all so much for listening. Uh, once again, if you want to hear this, uh, if you want to hear this on your own free time, uh, I am on Spotify. So uh, just look up the film room and you'll see. Um, you'll you'll find it. You'll find it. You'll find it. I've got like, I don't know, nine episodes up right now. Uh, or something like that. But once again, thank y'all so much for listening. Um I really hope to see you guys next week. It's always a pleasure to uh, record these for you guys. I love y'all. See you next week. Be safe out there. Uh, I don't know what you. I don't know what stupidity you might do, but don't involve me. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for listening. I will see y'all next week. Have a good one.